choir. Good to see y'all. Good to see you. So glad to be here today. Oh, no. Never take for granted being here. Okay. Well, you know, I was driving down through uh, Goose Creek the other day in that area, kind of close to North Charleston. There are, there's Brazilian uh, supermarkets and, and, and restaurants and everything like that. Really interesting how that's uh, coming into our area. Well, there's a story of family who overheard their five-year-old daughter named Lindsay telling her friend about Jesus. Wouldn't that be a cool thing to overhear? And the girls were sitting on the front steps of the house, and the parents kind of tiptoed up the stairs above the window above and kind of opened the window to, to hear and see what was going on. And they overheard Lindsay telling her friend that, that if she just believed in Jesus and she prayed for salvation, that Jesus would, would forgive her sins and that she would go to heaven. So the little girl was convinced, and so she made that prayer. When she was done praying, she, uh, uh, the little girl looked up at Lindsay and, and said, Will my mommy be in heaven too? And Lindsay thought about that for a moment, and she said, Yes, if she believes in Jesus. But as a five-year-old might say, she said, But if you don't want her there, don't tell her about Jesus. I've often wondered if it's true that if we don't tell others about Jesus, people we know, is it because deep down, maybe because we just simply don't want them in heaven? Now, maybe we'd never verbalize that. We may never think that. Perhaps we don't care if they are or not. Today we're talking about how the church of God is the hope of the world. God's hope in, in many ways, even though he doesn't need us, God's hope is set in us in the church to carry the message of Jesus to the world. God has entrusted to us the, the keys to heaven, as scripture says. So since God has placed his trust in the church, are we giving people the hope that they so desperately need our hope is in christ but our hope is made manifest many times through the people of the church so today we're talking about hope in the church as we close out the book of first thessalonians and so we start here in chapter 5 and verse 12 paul says this he says we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Verse 23. Now, 
May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Father in heaven, as we continue to worship this morning, help us as the church, as we come here to be filled spiritually, as we, as we come here to, to escape the trappings of the world, to have our soul renewed by you, to, to worship you in the spirit of who you are and the truth of the gospel. As we come in here today, as we watch from home, uh, for some of us who cannot be here today, let our hearts be stirred, let us be filled with the love for you, Father, but let us not forget that we do possess the keys to the kingdom of heaven. By sharing the gospel, we unlock the door for those who would enter. Father, I think of 9-11. I think of those who were trapped, Lord, descending staircases, trying to get to the top of the buildings. Some of them found locked doors with no way in, no way out. Father, there are so many people in our community who spiritually... There's a locked door. They're looking for the truth. They don't have, they've never heard the gospel. And Lord, we have the keys. Put people in our lives, Lord, that we can be a witness to. We can have conversations with, that we can share our faith with, Lord, because our hope is in Christ, but the world's hope through Christ is in the church. Father, give me the words to say today and fill me with your spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to give us four ways we can give hope to the world just through simply being God's people. Four ways we can give hope to the world just by simply being the church. Number one, first of all, love your church leaders. And as a church leader, it's kind of odd for me to tell you this, but it's what God's word says. Love your church leaders. Evidently, there were some Thessalonians who weren't doing that. Probably because the church leaders came from Thessalonica. These are probably people they knew, people that maybe they knew before they were saved. Maybe they didn't respect them or love them or whatever it was. But, so he asks in verse 12, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. To respect means to, to have regard, to have understanding for those pastors, those deacons, leaders in the church who are working hard and they're working hard until they get tired, until they get weary. And Paul reminds them that spiritually speaking, that they stood before them as leaders. See, pastors, we give account to God for the people we shepherd. Pastors give account to God for the people they shepherd. So Paul urges the people to respect their shepherds since the shepherds are called to exercise spiritual authority over the sheep. And he mentions that these pastors should admonish. This means to talk sense into someone. (laughs) You ever try to talk sense into somebody before? That's admonishing. You know, it's it's not easy talking sense into people. 
That's why God's given me four children, <laughs> especially a two-and-a-half-year-old. But, you know, I've, I've learned even at two-and-a-half, if I get down right on his level and look him right in the eye and speak slowly and clearly explain my reasons, he quits whining and he says, okay. Right? So he, he understands what I'm saying. Sometimes I think he's, he, he, he acts like he doesn't understand, but he knows. When I, when I get down on my knees and look him in the eye and tell him why, he, he gets it. Sometimes we have to do that. It's hard work talking sense to people. It's just easier to kind of yell or, or just say this or walk off. Or... That's what he's saying, that the, the, the leaders are doing the hard work of admonishing. But that's the, that's the pastor's calling. Therefore, the people are to, verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. This means to hold them in high honor. The office of pastor, the office of deacon should be honored even if the person, the people, don't like the office holder. In other words, Paul's saying, maybe you don't personally like the men God has put over you to watch over your souls, but you need to respect and honor and love them the same because this is who God has given you. We respect the office, if not the person. There's a British weekly magazine called The Glass Window, and in it, this letter was published. It said this, it seems ministers feel their sermons are very important and spend a great deal of time preparing them. I've been attending church quite regularly for 30 years, and I have probably heard 3,000 sermons. I bet some of you have heard more than that, and I apologize for some of those. But he says, to my consternation, I discovered I cannot remember a single sermon. This is what the person wrote. I wonder if a minister's time might be more profitable spent on something else. Well, weeks, weeks on end after this, a bunch of editorial responses came in, and one was in the form of this letter. And the man said, I've been married for 30 years. During that time, I have eaten 32,850 meals, mostly my wife's cooking. Suddenly, I have discovered I cannot remember the menu of a single meal. And yet, I have the distinct impression that without them, I would have starved to death long ago. I received nourishment from every single meal. Your leaders labor over you week in and week out. And even though you may not remember anything particular that they did or they said that was fascinating, they're bringing nourishment to your souls week in, week out. So we love our church leaders. And he says, be at peace among yourselves. And at first blush, this seems like a sentence unto itself, but I think it's related to the above section. When God's people respect and love their leaders, whether they like them or not, uh, there is peace in the congregation. When disrespect or unloving actions happen against God's leaders who God has appointed, then there's strife, then there's division. The goal between church leadership and church membership is not division. The goal is peace. So Paul, in giving him his parting words, he, he knows that if, if their organizational relationships aren't in order, they will not do well at giving hope to the world in Jesus. I think it's the, the, that's, the, that's the real tragedy of any type of division in a church. When that's happening, people are, are not being saved. People are, are falling through the cracks Sliding to hell because God's people can't get along. So love 
your church leaders. Number two, similarly, love your church family. Love your church family. Paul transitions to how the church can further give the hope of Jesus to a lost and a dying world by underscoring how they can love each other. It says in verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. Now, calling the men of the church brothers here is intentional because they're family members. When you're dealing with church family, that's what we call you, family. That's what we get up here. We say, hey, church family, how are you doing? Because that's what it is, spiritually speaking. These are family members you're dealing with. Families can be dysfunctional. Some families are healthier than others. In some family relationships, you learn the proper way of how to treat people. In some family relationships, you learn an improper way of how to treat people. But we all learn how to kind of navigate families. And so family, at the the heart of it, will look after their own. They take care of their own. They disciple their own. And they are called to admonish one another. There's that word again. We're called to talk sense into each other. And talk sense into those who are idle, those who have strayed, those who are failing to admonish them. Maybe it's a, a text message of encouragement. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a visit. But part of our duty as family members is to reach out to those who have fallen idle because they need us. He says to encourage the faint-hearted. This is the same category as above. These are those who have grown weary in the circumstances of life. We've had a lot, a lot of examples and opportunities to grow weary, haven't we? I was looking at the the prayer group of the church I pastored years ago, 10 years ago. And and, And all the people that are real leaders in the church, all at the same time, they all have COVID. They're not having church today. And it's sad. Some are in the hospital, some are recovering at home. This is a time where we can grow weary in the circumstances of life. I've been sick for like two months. <laughs> My family's had things go through. It can be difficult. But sometimes people haven't fallen away from the fold. They, they've just become faint-hearted. And may not always need a rebuke. Sometimes they just need encouragement. And some had lost heart because Christ had not yet returned, and they were tempted to quit the race because the race was hard. So we encouraged them. It says also to help the weak. Weak here is not referring necessarily to physically weak, but it's referring to the spiritual weakness. Weaker Christians, those who have not matured in their faith, and we're all maturing, but those who are weaker than others are, are, are more prone to falling into spiritual sin. So we need to help them. If we know what tempts them, we make them aware of it. And we give them wisdom on how to avoid temptations, how to resist the temptations. And, and most importantly, he says here, be patient with them all. God's people aren't going to have it all figured out overnight. Amen. We know that. It's going to take some time. So be patient. And it will take patience because many times the weak will retaliate 
when they're wronged, which what he says in verse 15, see that no one repays evil, anyone evil for evil. That's what the weak will do. They'll want to retaliate. So he says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Retaliation, the body of Christ should be avoided. You know, God will judge all that out. He's going to judge the world. He's going to judge the church. So retaliation should be avoided. A follower of Christ should watch out for a vindictive spirit growing in himself, a get-even spirit. We're called to rise above the level of the persecutor. And the world is watching. Look at John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How big your church is, how many people that come, how many campuses you have, what your budget is, how many church staff, how bald your pastor is. What's going to be the distinguishing mark that people will say that is a church if you love each other, if you have love for one another, you know. Last, last week and weeks prior, I've not been feeling well. I've been th- so thankful for loving people at First Baptist Church. So thankful. Texts and messages and people brought by food and things like this. And, 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 uh, and, and I know that our people do this for everyone. If they know about it and there's a need, they do it. People will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We're called to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. We are to love each other as we do that. Number three, we are to grow with our church family. We're we're to grow together, spiritually speaking. A lot of times we sit around and we eat and we grow this way. (laughs) But spiritually, we're, we're called to grow together. It's hard to believe that in the pandemic we've all gained weight and we've not had any church suppers. I don't understand how that worked out. Several places in Scripture, God's Word literally lists His will for your life. Several places, God's Word literally lists His will for your life. This is one of them. He says in verse 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. These things right here. Rejoice always. To rejoice has an idea of a calm happiness that, that, that knows it's well off despite the circumstances. No matter the circumstances, we can exude that of a calm happiness. This doesn't mean that we're robots. This doesn't mean that we don't have dark times. I saw a story last night of a, of a guy who was rescuing people in the, one of the towers coming down the stairs, and he was saying that, that he really wasn't processing the emotions of it. He was just, just robotically getting out. I'm not saying that's how we are. I mean, we don't have our dark times, but at the end of the day, as we trust Christ, God's will for our lives is that we will always rejoice. Maybe this should be your prayer today. Lord, change my heart to where I can be at peace when I'm always rejoicing. Secondly, he says we're called, we're called to pray without ceasing. That, that seems like, how in the world am I going to always pray every second of the day? Well, the idea is 
have an idea of not omitting prayer from your life. Don't leave it out of your life. Make it a part of your everyday rhythms. This is God's will for your life, to pray consistently. And finally, he says to give thanks in all circumstances. You ever heard of Job? His name's J-O-B. I used to think it was Job. Job. Job had everything. Blessed, wealthy. In In the first chapter, we don't know Job very long before something bad happens. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1 of Job. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. This means they were having a party, a feast. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the, and the donkeys feeding beside them and, and the Sabaeans, these are raiders, they fell upon them and they took them and, and they struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. So they're eating and everything and, and he just tells them, these people, these marauders, these raiders came in and, and killed all your servants and all of your livestock which would be a good portion of your wealth back then. And while he was still speaking, verse 16, another came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up all the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups, and they made a raid on the camels, and they took them, and they struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was speaking, there came another, and they said, your sons and daughters were eating, and they were drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Just like that. Everything Job has, except his wife, gone. What did he do? Verse 20. He arose and tore his robe, which was a sign of mourning, and he shaved his head, which is what they did when they mourned, and and he fell on the ground and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job knew that everything he had was given to him by God. That he came in the world with nothing. He didn't even come in the world with clothes on his body. And now he had nothing again. And even... In that time, he wasn't happy, but he had joy in a circumstance. He could do what he says. He could give thanks even in that time. There's been times this last year and a half where we just have to tell ourselves, Lord, we're just trusting you. and We're going to give thanks to you. So we grow together as a church family. Number four, finally we worship together with our church family. We worship together. That's what he says in verse 19. He's starting to talk about some forms of worship, some things that may or may not be happening when they gather together. He says, don't quit the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. 
And there's a fine line in worship between being emotional for Jesus, raising your hand, tearing up, feeling it in your heart, really, really worshiping. There's a fine line between being emotional for Jesus and pure emotionalism. Worship should stir your emotions. It should touch both your mind. It should touch your heart. So he says, don't quench the fire from the Lord. Don't, don't put it the fire out. Don't be a part of the church's cold water committee. You know we had one of those anyway. But at the same time, he says, test what you hear. Be discerning. If someone says, God's told me this, well, have they really? Does it go against Scripture? Does it seek to glorify a person rather than God? Test the spirits, he says. Test what you hear from sound doctrine. And in your worship, abstain from every form of evil. Part of reaching the world is giving the world an acceptable form of worship that brings glory to God and not man. When they come in here, whether it's at 8.30 or 11, and they see us worshiping, that the world sees us worshiping in spirit and truth and authenticity, not something we've manufactured, not something we're trying to manipulate, but a real heartfelt worship. We can manipulate all day long if we really put our minds to it, but that's not what it's about. That's not what God's called us to do. When we reach the world, we give them an acceptable form of worship that brings glory not to man, but to God. We want to be emotional, but we want it to be true. We want it to be right, not forced, not manipulated, as he says, not evil. And then Paul closes with a benediction in verse 23. This is just a closing prayer, and I'm going to read this for you. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and your soul and your body be kept blameless as Jesus comes back at the coming of our Lord. Every, every part of you, your spirit, your soul, your mind, let everything be as blameless. Not that you're perfect, but be trusting in Christ. Be growing in Jesus. And he says in verse 24, if you think it's too hard, he who calls you is faithful. God has started this work in your life, and he is going to finish it. It's not all up to us. He is faithful. He will surely do it. Then he says, pray for us. And greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. This was a sign of greeting. And then he says, and I put you under oath that you'll deliver these letter, this letter to all your brothers. You couldn't put a carbon copy on this. You couldn't get a read receipt. So he says, and by the way, you're under oath to deliver this to everyone. And he closes the letter of 1 Thessalonians with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Because if we're going to be successful in anything in the Christian life, it's because God's grace is with us. So man, there's an American historian who was visiting years ago with the president of Argentina about 100 years ago. And the president of Argentina said, you're a student of history, you're a historian. Tell me, will you please tell me why is it that South America, with her unlimited resources, having been settled earlier than North America, 
has nevertheless made much slower progress in civilization and material prosperity. So the historian thought about it and he said, Mr. President, you evidently have studied the question yourself, so I would be interested to know your answer. What do you think, Mr. President of Argentina? And the president replied that he thought the explanation was in the fact that South America was settled by Spaniards who were seeking gold, while North America was settled by pilgrims who were seeking God. Coming from an Argentinian. As we close our time together today, as you worship here with your church family, why are you here today? Are you searching for God? Are you searching for something else that you can benefit from? What type of gold are you looking for? The church of God will give people Jesus when they want people to receive Jesus. I want to say that again. The church of God will give people Jesus when they want to receive it. We can give them other things. We can give them, give them cheap substitutes. We can give them something else that won't last. We're called to give them the real thing. In many ways, there's people outside our doors today who are lost, and they need you and me to be searching for God in our own lives so that we can give God to them. Because the hope of the world is in Christ, but Christ has given the church the responsibility to unlock the doors of heaven. Heavenly Father, as we close our time together today, we thank you so much for what you've given us as believers. For those in here that know you and have been saved by you, we thank you for putting someone in our life that opened our eyes and ears to the gospel and allowed our heart to receive it. Father, if there is one in here today that does not know you, that today they would receive salvation, they would trust in your work, they would trust in the story that you sent your son Jesus, who lived a perfect life, took our death on the cross, through his death and through his resurrection from the grave and his ascension to heaven he has purchased eternal life to whoever would receive it so Lord, we thank you for that maybe there is some of us here today Lord that have been discouraged renew our hearts to be searching for God every day even though we know who you are and we've already found you that we continue to grow in you so that we can show that to others father we love you we thank you for what you've given us in jesus we give this time to you in jesus name amen